Hey, this is Eric, and you're listening to the Story Church Podcast. Our podcast features audio from Sunday mornings at Story Church in Peru, Indiana, a community on the mission of connecting people's story to God's story. If you'd like to connect with us further, check out storyperu.com. Our hope is that today's episode helps you take your next step on your faith journey. I don't know if you've ever really thought about Flag Day, but Flag Day, it's one of those holidays that if you even knew it was a holiday, right? It just kind of shows up on your calendar randomly in June. You're like, oh, Flag Day. Okay, what does that mean? Do I need to put the flag out? It's not a holiday that many of us look forward to. It's not a holiday that many of us necessarily remember unless you're in my family because Flag Day uh, has always been a mile marker for me each year and specifically for me personally uh, because on Flag Day of 1993, I was two years old, which was 30 years ago, which hurts me a little bit, but Flag Day of 1993, uh, I fractured my skull uh, at my parents' house by flipping out of a wagon and hitting my head on the concrete. So believe it or not, I I can't remember the day, but it is a memorable day uh, in my family and in the story that we tell, and I'll give you the quick and dirty version. I was two years old, like I said, and my brother was out in the backyard with me. We were playing together. Uh, We had the radio flyer wagon out, and not like the fancy cool one that all you awesome moms had out at the parade yesterday, but like the old school one with like the kind of rusty red bottom and then the wood slats on the side. That was what we were rocking back in the 90s and it served us well. So I was in that and my brother was pulling the radio flyer on my parents' concrete patio. And uh, I don't know if I had just learned to walk or I was just eager to stand up as two-year-olds often are, but I stood up in that wagon and my brother was ready to pull it. And he was a good brother. He said, hey, you need to sit down but I had the same temperament then that I have now. And I said, no, pull me. And he goes, no, sit down. And I said, no, pull me. And he said, okay. And so he gave it a tug and guess what happened? I flipped out of that thing, landed headfirst on the concrete patio and was knocked unconscious. I've been told that my brother was a little bit heroic in that moment, although I don't have any proof, But allegedly, he grabbed me and dragged me across the concrete patio, which I can just picture my little two-year-old head like dunk, dunk, dunk. But anyway, he dragged me inside, got my mom, explained what happened. My mom was holding me. Eventually, I woke up and came to, and my brother Greg was able to explain what had happened. And what my mom realized in that moment is what had happened was an accident, right? It wasn't intentional allegedly, right? My brother didn't deliberately hurt me or anything like that. And in fact, my brother said that he was sorry. And so that's why my parents just said, okay, cool, we're fine. We went on to Pizza Hut and I started to actually pass out sitting in the Pizza Hut. And eventually like my mom couldn't wake me up, uh, but she was like, you know what? It was an accident. And Greg said, he's sorry. So we just sat there. No, right? Of course not. That's absurd. My parents are not like negligent, terrible parents. For those of you who are concerned, what actually did end up happening is I really did pass out in the Pizza Hut because it was book it season and my brother was promised Pizza Hut and I seemed fine at the time. But I did pass out eventually and eventually they could not wake me up. So I took a helicopter ride to the hospital uh, and spent the night there. But because I was so young and apparently there was no damage, again, allegedly, uh, it just, they were like, hey, he's fine. It's all gonna grow back together. And now you know why I am the way that I am. But uh, my point in sharing that story, like the reason why my parents took my injury very seriously, despite the fact that my brother said he was sorry, right? Despite the fact that it was an accident, it is because there is no necessary correlation between intent and outcome, right? We can throw that up on the screen, Carter. There's no necessary correlation between intent 
an outcome. And if you want to like check out a little bit early today, that is the entire point of what we're going to talk about today as we wrap up this series, The Weight of Our Words. It's the whole point of where we're going because we're, we're wrapping up this series where we've been acknowledging that words have weight, right? If you've ever found yourself crushed by somebody's words before, words have weight. Apparently that rain on the roof has weight too, right? So you'd be glad that you're in here. But words carry weight. They carry weight in powerful, positive ways and they can carry weight in difficult, negative ways. They can leave a mark on our lives for good, or for bad, they can inspire us and they can build us up or they can destroy us, they can wound us. And we've all probably been on the receiving end of words like that, right? You can remember moments where somebody built you up, where they encouraged you, where they believed in you. And for many of us, those words can direct the course of our lives. It can give us the courage to step into the career path that we stepped into or to try something new or to take a risk or to ask that girl out on the date, right? Like words are powerful in positive ways, but words are also powerful sometimes in negative ways, and we've all probably experienced words, whether it was words from a sibling, or words in middle school, or high school, or, or somebody even as an adult who was unkind to you, where those words had a lasting impact on you, where it created some insecurity in you along the way, and it's taken away your confidence. Our lives have been shaped by words spoken to us, words spoken over us, words spoken at us, and even words spoken about us. And we've said this each week, that these words maybe shaped your childhood growing up. Uh, maybe they shape some of the most significant relationships. It's why you feel the way you feel about the place that you work or the people that you work with. It's why your marriage is in the state that it's in. It's because of the words that we choose to use that either build us up or undermine the relationships in our lives. These words have the ability to even determine how we view and think about ourselves. And what's interesting, uh, which we talked about on week one, is that words are so extraordinarily powerful that even words that aren't spoken to us can have a lasting impact on us. It, it, words that are left unsaid can have a lasting impact on us. Is There's words that maybe we wanted to hear or needed to hear from somebody significant, but we didn't get to. Words like, mommy loves you, or I'm so proud of you, or son, I'll always have your back, right? We've all been on probably both sides of powerful words like that, said or unsaid. And some of those phrases, if you've experienced the weight of unsaid words, some of those phrases may be incredibly emotional for you, even though they're words on a screen being read in a movie theater on a Sunday morning, right? It's, it's personal and it's emotional. And so the tension that we've acknowledged throughout this entire series is, is that none of us doubt that our lives have been impacted by the words of others. Right? All of us have experiences where somebody's words impacted us either for better or for worse. And so we get all of that. But what we are often very slow to recognize is the weight that our words have in the lives of others. We're quick to acknowledge the weight of other people's words in our lives. And yet we're very slow to take responsibility or to acknowledge or recognize how our words impact other people. And that should bother all of us. Okay, like what we're talking about here, it's not necessarily just a Christian thing or a Jesus follower thing. Although, if you are here and you are a Jesus follower, there's an extra weight added to why this should bother us. Because if you're a Jesus follower, this isn't just like self-help, life hack, add-on, whatever, additional extra stuff. This is baked into what it means for us to follow Jesus. Because as we've said every single week, Jesus instructed his followers, he instructed us to love one another, 
the way that God through Christ loved us. And that means that it should influence everything that we do, that we should live our lives with an others-focused mindset. In fact, it's why if you read any of the New Testament letters that Paul wrote, eventually you'll bump into these one another phrases where he says we should forgive one another, we should encourage one another, we should love one another, we should build one another up. We're responsible to be good stewards of our words and the weight of our words with other people because we're called to be others first people. That's what it means to follow Jesus. And so our words and our tone and the way that we approach our words should reflect that. So my point is that this is not just an add-on for us. I mean, hopefully it's helpful to you, but this is a part of what it means to follow Jesus despite how practical and maybe bottom shelf it seems. And for those of you who are here, and maybe you're not a Christian, or maybe you were a Christian, but you feel yourself kind of drifting away from it, I would be willing to bet that one factor in what's pushing you away might be the words of the Christians that are in your life. That I would be willing to bet that if the Christians in your life were maybe more gracious with their words about some of the people that you love, maybe even family members or close relationships, that if Christians had been more gracious with their words, you might be more curious about Christianity in and of itself. And it may be that the weight of our words, when they come off as insensitive, when they come off flippantly, that our tone may be one of the things that is actually driving you away from your heavenly father and away from Jesus. And if that's you today, I wanna say something to you really quickly. And it's that Jesus reserved his harshest criticism for religious leaders who use their words flippantly. Religious leaders who were not careful and were not good stewards of the words towards the people that they are ultimately responsible for. And if that's you, if you've been on the other side of a Christian like that and it's made you want to back away, my hope for you is that you could look beyond us because we certainly don't get it right every time, but that you could look beyond us and you could see Jesus who told us that every conversation that we have is an opportunity to either build others up or tear them down. In fact, Paul, in a letter that we've looked at, and we'll read it again together when we wrap up today, Paul said that every conversation that you or I have is a construction yard where we either build the other person up or we tear them down. We can leave them better off for being on the other side of us or we can leave them worse off through how the weight of our words land. So in this series, what we've done is we've explored these three dynamics that are at play in every conversation we have, but especially with those who are closest to us. And every time you have a conversation with someone who's close to you, whether it's a family member or a coworker or even a neighbor, uh, we, these three dynamics are always at play. These three dynamics determine what people hear regardless of what we say. And we've highlighted that's an important difference, right? What people hear versus what we say. And, and kind of the hypocrisy uh, that's kind of ran through each week of this series is that we've all been on the receiving end of these three dynamics that we're looking at, right? We've all been on the receiving end, both positively and negatively, which you would think would make us so dialed in and so aware of these dynamics that we would get it right every single time. And yet we don't, right? Many times we miss this. So to recap, on week one, uh, we introduced you to this first dynamic that words are not equally weighted, in other words, not all words weigh the same. Some words weigh more than others. And specifically on week one, we said that negative words weigh more than positive words. And so if you wanna have influence with somebody, you have to pay attention to the balance or the ratio of how many negative things you're saying in the relationship versus positive things. And don't get me wrong, there's always moments where you do have to deliver something negative or maybe a challenge to somebody. But if you want that challenge or that negative moment to be heard in the right context, you have to pay attention to the balance because if all you say are negative things, more negativity is just more noise to the person on the other side of you, even if it's a one-to-one -one ratio, because negative words weigh more. 
your words won't be heard in the way that you intend for them to be heard because negative words weigh more than positive. In the second week of the series, last week, we said uh, the second dynamic that's at play is that source determines weight. The source of our words determines the weight of our words. In other words, the who behind what was said impacts how weighty our words are. And our takeaway was we said that anytime we're in a conversation with somebody, we need to remember who we are to that person and what we represent to that person because it shapes how weighty our words are with them. We should always take into consideration who you are and you should always take consideration what you are and what you represent to the person on the other side of you. Because even though you're in a relationship with them, Chances are it's not the same relationship. It's kind of this confusing idea that we teased out. But like parents and children, they're in a relationship, but it's not the same relationship. Uh, employers and employees, they're in a relationship, but it's not the same relationship. And almost any time there's that kind of inequality or, or, or off-balancedness in a relationship, we need to be cautious with our words and, and be careful to use the weight of our words in a positive way that build up rather than destroy. So as we conclude things today, we're gonna look at that third dynamic. And it's a little uh, more difficult, maybe a little more challenging to explain. So I'm gonna illustrate it a bunch of different ways. And then at the end of our time together, I'm gonna give you one application for how you can actually put this into play in the conversations that you have with those who are closest to you. But dynamic number three is simply this. It's that intent is usually irrelevant. When it comes to our conversation, when it comes to the weight of our words, intent the intent of our words oftentimes is irrelevant because, again, going back to the big idea that we started with earlier, there is no necessary correlation between what we intended and the outcome of what we said. And I, I almost said there's no correlation, but I threw necessary in there just so that you had a little bit of wiggle room. There's no necessary correlation between what we intended and the outcome of what we said. And this is really obvious for us in the physical world. Right, like if you've ever uh, broken a window, maybe when you were a kid, you were playing baseball or something, or for me and my brother, uh, we used to play roller hockey out in the driveway. We never competed, we just had roller blades and we had hockey sticks and like a ball and so we would just whack it around the driveway. Uh, but I remember one time we nailed that thing right into the window in the garage and it had a big crack down the middle of it. So uh, if you've ever done something like that or maybe you went to your mother-in-law's house and she's like got all these collectibles and you accidentally bumped one off the table and it broke, right? Uh, it doesn't matter if you said sorry it doesn't matter if it was just, hey, that was an accident. The window was still broke, right? The collector's item still needed to be replaced. And so that's why like you probably went home and, and you Googled where you could find that collector's item and you tried to fix it. You tried to replace it. Or why, for me, I had to mow some lawns, right? To fix that window or to pay for fixing that window. It's because just because you say you're sorry or just because you didn't mean to doesn't mean the thing's not broken. And that's obvious for us in the world of physical things. But as it relates to our words, we often miss that. And in fact, there's another dynamic uh, as it comes to physical objects that again is so obvious, but as it relates to our words, we often miss it. It's this, it's that explaining does not equal repairing. It, explaining what happened or why it happened is not the same thing as repairing what happened. Explaining doesn't equal repairing. And again, we know this with physical objects objects, right? Just because you can explain what happened to the thing, it doesn't fix it. Uh, today's like me talking about my brother day, apparently. Uh, another great famous story in the McCoy household growing up is uh, there was this day where my brother and I were fighting and wrestling. I don't know who started it, but it was probably me and I probably deserved it. But we were wrestling and uh, what you need to know is in the front of my parents' house, there's like this entryway. And at the time, uh, there's this coat closet that had full mirror closet doors on them. 
Okay, so it's just mirror everywhere you can see. And so my brother and I are wrestling in that entryway and all of a sudden he's bigger than me and older than me. So he gets me pinned up against that closet and he's like pressing into me and I'm putting up a good fight. Like we're, so we're going at it. And then all of a sudden we heard crack behind us. And it was amazing how quickly the conflict stopped, right? We both stopped and we turned and we realized we had a new problem and a bigger problem because that mirror was just shattered. And my parents were in the backyard uh, doing some yard work. And so my brother and I, we walked out there and famously for my family, we just walked back there and we just said, hey, mom, dad, the good news is no one got hurt. Like that, that was how we led off with it. They're like, okay, what, what happened? The mirror got hurt, right? Like the mirror was broken. And so we explained what was happening, right? We said like, oh, we were wrestling. We shouldn't have done it. Guess what that did not do? That did not fix that mirror. Okay, that did not fix the closet doors. And that is why, once again, I was mowing a lot of lawns to recoup the cost of fixing that broken thing. It's obvious with physical objects that explaining what happened is not the same thing as repairing what happened. But as it relates to our words, we often miss this. In fact, often, the first thing we try and do, if we misspeak or we hurt somebody with our words, the first thing we try and do is explain it which is often just all the more irritating to the person on the other side of it. When it comes to hurtful words that we speak, trying to explain those words as immediate follow-up often is just all the more irritating because not only does it not do anything, but many times it only makes things worse. And if you've ever been on the receiving end of hurtful words, you know that this is true, right? Maybe it was an accident and then the offender starts explaining what they meant to you. Isn't it just all the more irritating and totally irrelevant to how you feel for why they said what they said or why they did it. It's because in those moments, we don't need an explanation, right? We need some repair. We need glued back together. We need fixed. And explanation is not the same thing as repairing. Explaining what happened doesn't necessarily fix what happened. And oftentimes, nothing can be more insensitive than just trying to explain somebody's pain away, trying to explain to somebody what happened. And yet, when we've been hurtful with our words, for most of us, the very first thing that we do is we forget all of that and we retreat to our intentions, right? We say things like, whoa, whoa, whoa I, I didn't mean it in that way, right? Like, whoa, wait, wait, wait. That, that didn't come out right. That, that's not what I meant to say. If you're like me, you say this one often, like, oh, it's, I, I was trying to be funny, okay? Like, it, it was a joke, I swear. It wasn't my intent to hurt you. And we throw out these words quickly to explain the hurtful things that we say. But do you know what all four of those statements and all of the statements like them have in common? Do you know what all the four of those statements and the statements like them communicate to the person on the other side of us? Blame. They communicate blame to the person on the other side of us because when we say these things, when we try and explain our intention, we're blaming the person we hurt for taking our words in the way that they took them. Right? We're blaming the person that, that they were wrong to interpret our words in the way that they did because it was just a joke, right? I mean, I didn't mean it that way. It's their fault that their feelings are hurt. They should be more mature, right? They should be tougher. In a fast place workplace like this, you gotta be more professional, right? Like, like people, we throw this out and it's, it's not our intent to blame. We're just explaining. But when it relates to the power and the weight of our words, explaining on the other side of hurtful words, explaining sounds like blaming. Explaining always sounds and feels like blaming. And you know that, right? Because you and I have both been on the receiving end of that, where somebody does that. And not only does it like kind of undo the apology, it kind of undoes the I'm sorry when they start basically blaming you in response, but when we couple an apology and an explanation together, not only do we feel blamed, but the other person actually feels something else as well. We feel pressure. 
We feel expectation being put onto us when they're saying, whoa, 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 I didn't mean it that way. When we try and explain ourselves in these moments, we put pressure on the other person because we think, since I've explained myself, I expect you to feel better now, right? Like, well, now you get it. Now you get what I was trying to do. Now you understand. And, and then typically, if our explanation doesn't work like a magic wand and make the conflict go away, it's not like the Jedi mind trick that makes everything better. Uh, typically, when they're still angry or withdrawn or hurt on the other side of us, we just press harder into explanation. And, and then we say things like, well, I said I'm sorry, right? Like the, the implication when we fall into this, when we say, hey, look, I said I'm sorry, the implication is, why aren't you fine now? Right? Like, 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 I expect you to be okay now that I've explained myself to you. If you're in a relationship with somebody, right? Sometimes the implication is, why aren't we fine now? Or, or in other words, why aren't we back to where we were before I said what I said? Because I explained it. Right? Why can't we just jump back to there? And ultimately what we're saying is, it's your fault. I did my part. I did my part, and and listen, this is a big deal that, again, makes so much sense in the physical world, right? If you slammed my fingers in your car door, it would hurt, right? And I have my, like, crunched up hands. You'd probably turn, and you'd be like, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry, right? And that's the right thing to do. I'd be grateful for your apology. But if you apologize for closing my fingers in your car door, it would not immediately transport my hand to its pre-crushed state, right? It's not like, hey, I'm better. When I flipped out of that wagon, my brother was sorry, but my head still hit, right? Like, it happened. The same thing is true as it relates to the weight of our words. Apologies don't reverse and erase accidental injuries to our bodies. But in the same way, apologies don't reverse or erase accidental injuries to our soul. And when words are the damaging tool, when when our words have been used to hurt people on the other side of us, the words can't reverse and erase those accidental injuries that showed up to the heart, to the relationship, to the security and the confidence that we have to the other person. And so an apology, when it's combined with an explanation, sounds like an excuse. It sounds like another attempt to shift the blame away from us and on to the other person. And same thing, like if you slammed my hand in your car door, right, probably 99.5% chance that I'm gonna assume that was an accident. Like, I'm going to assume that you weren't just like, oh, now's my chance, get him. Same for my brother, right, the wagon thing. I assume that was an accident. I don't think he meant to do that because he would be in big trouble once he got caught. But when it comes to our words, most of us are not so immediately convinced that harmful words are an accident, right? I'm not so convinced that you didn't mean what you just said to me, even though it hurt me. In fact, you had to have meant something by it. Right? We're also quick to think, like, maybe you didn't intend those words to come out, but they came out. They came from somewhere. You didn't intend for those words to come out in the way that they came out, but they did, which means they were in there. And why shouldn't I assume that there's more in there, too? Right? All of us tend to do this. We're not convinced that, that we didn't just learn something about the way that that person views us and how much that person values us. And this is such a huge deal for us to learn and for us to understand, especially if you're in the room and you're a follower of Jesus. Because again, we're called to love other people the way Jesus loved us. And that means building them up even with the way that we use our words. And James, the brother of Jesus, which I think it is such an incredible thing that James, the brother of Jesus, became James, the follower of Jesus. I mean, I've talked about my brother a lot today. Do you know what it would take 
for me to believe that my brother was my savior and Lord? Yeah, it's probably not happening, okay? And it didn't happen for James either. When Jesus walked this earth, James didn't buy it. Okay, James was not a follower of Jesus during Jesus' earthly ministry. It was after the resurrection that James became convinced that his brother was his Lord and then he became a leader in the church movement and eventually he wrote a letter that gets right to the point of what we're talking about today. And here's what James said that's so important about us understanding the weight of our words, especially if our words become hurtful. James says this, he says, we all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect. So we all get a pass on this one, or at least we're all invited into this one. It's like, hey, we all stumble. We all mess up when it comes to our words from time to time. And that last phrase, he says, anyone who's never at fault with what they say is perfect. Uh, sometimes you're like, yeah, they think they're perfect, right? I've met people like that who are like, I never mess up. That's not what James is getting at. James is essentially saying, hey, look, if you learn how to control your words, you've made it. He's saying if you have that much maturity, that high of a standard for yourself that you have learned how to tame your tongue, then you have arrived. He, he's essentially saying that controlling your mouth is the ultimate form of self-control. That if you have somehow managed to create a gatekeeper that keeps those nasty, unwholesome words from coming out of your mouth, you have figured it out and you're getting there. And then he gives us this word picture that unfortunately we can all relate to right now in our world. He talks about the power of our words and he says, consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire. And listen, I don't know necessarily what caused it, but we're all experiencing the effects of the Canadian wildfires these days, right? That's why it's been like all foggy all the time. That's why we're all hacking up our lungs all the time. Or if you're like me, it's like allergies are suddenly here for the summer. That's why it never rains anymore. Like, we're seeing the effects of what has happened. And again, I don't know exactly what caused it, but something small likely started these Canadian wildfires. Something small, whether it was a cigarette thrown out of a window or a, a campfire that was left unattended or not put away uh, in the way that it should have been. Right? This is why if you go to a state park or a national park uh, and you want to do a fire, they will hand you or allow you to purchase the right kind of wood to burn in that fire. Because if you bring the wrong kind of wood, you can create big problems. Something small can become something incredibly big. And James is saying your words have the same kind of power. It, it, just like a small spark can wreak havoc and create a wildfire. Your words can seem like a small thing, but they can have a big impact because the real danger of a spark, the real danger of a fire, is not that it's hot or that it burns, but it's that it spreads and it does not stay isolated, right? It can take over and something that's a nation away can impact what our summer looks like here. It can impact the quality of our air. It starts small, but it doesn't stay small. And just like that, our words can seem small in a moment, but they can result in big damage in our relationships. So in light of that, there's generally two ways that you can respond to a fire. Okay, you can contain it or you can put it out. You can contain it or you can extinguish it. And when it comes to the fires that we start in other people's lives with our harmful words, typically what we tend to try and do is we try and contain it. We try and just do damage control, right? We're like, just try and stop it. And that's why we explain it because explaining it is trying to contain it. We're like, if they just understood my intention, then it would be okay, then the damage would be done. But as we've said, right, explaining is actually just an admission that we don't really understand the damage that we've done. 
explaining is that we don't actually understand. And when we try to contain a fire that we've started with our words by trying to explain it, we just make it hurt more, right? We just increase the pain. And so the goal for all of us, and especially the goal for those of us who wanna follow Jesus, is that we have to try and extinguish fires if we start them, right? We have to try and extinguish the fires that our harmful words can start. We have to try and put them out. And there's two things that go hand in hand that can put out a fire relationally on the other side of harsh words. Two things that are simple but do not come natural to any of us. Because word fires, like any kind of relational conflict, they can be extinguished with a big dose of humility. With a big dose of humility. And humility means I'm going to submit myself to you. Right, humility says, I'm gonna put you and your interests before me and my interests, even if it costs me something. Humility says, I'm gonna place myself under and I'm gonna make myself available to somebody else. Humility is taking full responsibility for the weight of your words. And the second thing that comes right alongside humility is sensitivity. If we were insensitive with our words, if we hurt somebody through insensitive words, the response to put out that fire is sensitivity to the other person's needs and the other person's feelings because sensitivity elevates the offended party, right? Sensitivity says, hey, your needs matter to me. Explanation elevates me. Explanation says, you don't understand me, right? If you could just understand, then you would get it. Humility elevates the other person. Humility says that you matter. Right, an explanation, it's just about wanting to be understood and judged correctly. I want you to understand my intention, which in reality is irrelevant in the moment and insensitive over time. So how do we actually apply this, right? When these moments happen, because they're gonna happen. We all misspeak, we all unfortunately can be harmful with our words. How do we actually put out the fires that impact us relationally? I'm gonna give you one simple application what does it look like to extinguish a word fire? Often it looks and it sounds like this. I'm so sorry. And what comes next is the most important part. Period. That's it. Like, I'm so sorry. And then stop talking because anything you say after that sounds like an excuse and it sounds like an explanation. And listen, I know it's uncomfortable and it's weird and it's so uncomfortable and it's so weird and we are so bad at doing this that I want us to do it right now all together. So here's what we're gonna do. I'll count to three just so we do it together. And on the count of three, we're all gonna say it together, I'm so sorry and then we're just gonna sit in it. Okay, here we go. Three, two, one. I'm so sorry. Right? Don't you feel it? It's just like, and if you're like me, if you're like me, it's uncomfortable, but it is an invitation to create space in the relationship. If you're like me, it's uncomfortable, and what you are tempted to do is to try and fix it, right? Because, because there's a problem. I just said, I'm sorry, like I'm trying to own it. I'm so sorry, and so many of us, me especially, right? I'm just, and here's what we can do to fix it. Like, I just wanna grab onto it, I wanna keep going. And so if you're like me, and you just must say more, rinse and repeat. Okay, like, like, I am so sorry, there is no excuse for what I said. You don't deserve that. I'm so sorry. And then just let it sit. Let, let you sit in the guilt of what you said and let them sit in the hurt 
of what you said, and then in that space and in that silence, do not take control of the restoration process. Okay, because we're all tempted to do that. At least if you're like me and you're like a fixer by nature, uh, we're so tempted to try and restore it right away. It, it even sounds like a Jesus thing to do, right? To restore and repair the relationship. But if you're the one who offended the other person, it's not up to you what the restoration process looks like. It's up to them what it looks like. You did the damage. They get to choose the speed and the pace and the nature of the recovery. And so don't, in response to moments like this, don't tell them how bad you feel because it's irrelevant because you made them feel bad, right? Telling them how bad you feel is a request for empathy from the person on the other side of you, but you're not in the position to ask for anything. In fact, you took something. And again, this is gonna seem like, but Eric, what about Jesus? Like we're Christians, right? But here's what I would say to you. Don't ask for forgiveness in these moments. Don't ask for forgiveness. You're like, what? Forgiveness is like a Jesus 101 thing, right? Aren't I supposed to ask for forgiveness? No, don't ask for forgiveness from the person on the other side of you because you know what forgiveness always is? Forgiveness is always a gift. And, and if you ask for it, you just took something already, right? You're not in a position to ask for anything else. And, and when we ask for it, when we say, hey, will you please forgive me? Do you know what it feels like to the person on the other side of us? It feels like pressure, it feels like expectation. It, it feels like, hey, fix it, right? I messed up, fix it. We just shove it across the table to them. Don't do that. Let them choose if and when they forgive you. That's how you actually extinguish a word fire. This is how we put others first when we've messed up with the weight of our words, when we've hurt somebody with harmful words. We say, I'm gonna elevate you and I'm gonna give you space to set the pace for fixing things. Right? I'm gonna put you first. I'm not gonna ask anything of you. And instead, I'm gonna submit myself to you. I'm gonna remember humility. I'm gonna remember sensitivity. And I'm gonna let the other person choose if and when they forgive. It sounds simple, right? But it is incredibly difficult to practice. It is incredibly difficult to put into play in our lives. But it is the very thing that can change and can restore the broken places in our relationships. So wrapping this whole conversation up, the point is that your words and my words have weight, that there is genuine weight to our words. And these three dynamics that we've talked about, they are at play every single time you speak and every single time I speak. And they determine what people hear and they determine what people feel. And ultimately they determine the outcome in our relationships. When it comes to the weight of your words, words aren't equally weighted. Those negative words weigh more, so we've gotta be so, so careful when we use negative words. When it comes to the weight of your words, the source determines the weight. So you have to remember who you are and what you represent in the lives of others. And when it comes to the weight of your words, your intention is usually irrelevant to the impact that they have. And so when we get it wrong, and it is a win, okay? We will all get it wrong. When we get it wrong, let's not attempt to explain it and let's not attempt to contain it, but instead decide to humble yourself and extinguish it. Decide to humble yourself because it is the quickest, and I would say it may be the only way back to relational wholeness. It's the only way back to restoration. And so here's the question this begs, right? Throughout this whole series, is there somebody who's been crushed by the weight of your words recently? Is there somebody maybe at home 
who's feeling this on the other side of you, or if not at home, maybe it's a neighbor or a coworker or a friend. And I guess follow-up question is, have you attempted to contain and explain away a word fire that you have the power to extinguish? If so, you know what to do, right? Your mouth, your words can be a tool for good if you choose to use it in that way. And, and listen, I, I get it, okay? I'm like talking to myself as much as anybody today. And this is so extraordinarily hard to hear and so extraordinarily hard to apply the closer the other person is to you, okay? <laughs> the closer the other person is to you, I, I mean, if they're like the closest people to you, it requires a double, if not a triple dose of humility to put out a word fire in those relationships. But I wanna challenge you to go for it anyway. Right? Go for it anyway, because while it is good advice for everyone, it is essential for Jesus followers to get this right. This is what it looks like to love like Jesus. This is what it sounds like to love like Jesus. Or in the words of Paul, right, which we've read every single time. I wanna read it for you one more time before we close. Do not let any unwholesome word come out of your mouths, but only words that are good for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit everybody who listens. The point is your words carry weight. We're called to steward them well. Let me pray for you. Jesus, it is so easy for me to stand up here and talk about this. And it is so difficult for me to apply it and live it out. So I pray that your spirit would, would keep working on me that as we were singing about earlier, that you would keep taking me higher and higher and shaping me into the image of your son and, and that I might learn how to control and use my words to build up. And God, I pray that for all of my friends here today too. God, when I think about Story Church and I think about the opportunity that's in front of us right here in Peru and to a watching world, there may be no greater opportunity than for us to start getting this right, than for us to become people who lead with humility and who get the weight of our words and leverage every word that we speak and every word that we share to build others up according to their needs, not to explain and contain and push our own perspective or agenda. God, I pray that we would have humility, that, that for the person in the room today, uh, that over these three weeks, they're like, man, I know the person that I've crushed with the weight of my words. God, give them the humility and give them the sensitivity to put that fire out, to say, I am so sorry, and then to let the other person Take the lead on restoring the relationship if and when they choose to restore it. And God, I pray for all of us that you would give us the wisdom to know what to do with what we've heard and that you would give us the courage to actually do it. And we pray and we ask all of that in the name of Jesus, amen. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. If you live in or near the Peru, Indiana area, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend gatherings. To find directions, service times, and information about our environments for kids, visit us at storyperu.com.